0: All right, good morning. good morning. So my name is Chris Upp. Um I am on the pastor team here at Harvest. I am not the senior pastor. This is not my full-time job, so if you'd give me a little bit of grace this morning. See, grace, see how I worked your name into that? So, okay, hey. Um, we're going to continue talking through our sermon series on the book of Matthew. <clears throat> we'll specifically be reading out of Matthew 13 today. To put this into context, we know that Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. He's been preaching for a while, and now he's begin to, r- begun to run into opposition. Pastor Nick has preached over the last few month, or few weeks about some of the opposition he's run into, and we'll spend some time looping back around at the end talking about that opposition from religious authorities and, and what that may have been about. But as we move into chapter 13, we see Jesus has begun to change his messaging style where he's been uh, talking openly and straightforwardly to them. In chapter 13, he begins to change the of speaking in parables. And next week, Pastor Nick will talk a little bit more about why he moved to parables and what's the reason for that. Uh, but for this week, we're going to specifically talk about the first parable he tells in Matthew 13, which is the parable of the sower. So if you'll get your Bibles out, we'll start reading in Matthew 13, verse 1. Before we do that, let me just pray real quick before we read his word. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us. You promised to send him that help us to learn all things, to understand things. So, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us in each of our lives as we read through your word. Amen. So in Matthew 13, verse 1, it starts off and it says, And that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, and I'll kind of pause right there, and I want to kind of key in this phrase that he uses, he told them many things. One of the things that Jesus did when he came to earth is to tell us who he is, to point us to the Father, to explain to us the the message of the kingdom, to tell us truths about who we are. And he looks out and he sees these people and he gets ready to tell them many things. And I love the fact that God has recorded the many things that he tells them in the, in the Bible because just as Jesus is telling them many things, the intent is that he tells us many things as well through this message. So if I stop and think we've referenced this this year, we've, we've had so much noise and chatter, And information, misinformation, everybody seems to have facts and their own story to tell. Can you imagine these people actually get to sit down and hear truth or stand there and hear truth? When we read this about Christ's authority, we don't have to determine does Jesus have X number of degrees after his name, whose side he's on, does he belong to a particular political party We know that when we read about Christ in the Bible, when we read about what God has written, that is truth. Now, the people listening to Jesus at this time, they're not quite sure who he is and what he's talking about. They're still trying to figure out who he is, but we know him to be the author of truth, that he is just and righteous and he has our best interests in mind. If I were to find out, in fact, that Jesus was going to come to Des Moines and he was going to tell us many things... I'm not going to look at the calendar and see if my calendar happens to be open that day. I know that I will clear my calendar. I'll find out how do I get there, where is it going to be? I'm going to get plenty of sleep the night before so I can stay awake. I'm going to be there early, getting a seat, have pad and paper in hand. I'm going to have my phone ready, so if he puts up any overheads or PowerPoints, I'm taking a picture of what the author of truth has to tell me. I would be paying attention. Having said that, um, I know that reading has become a bit of a lost art form or a lost discipline. Um, well, at least reading more than 175 characters at a time or maybe seeing a, a meme and something neat that some celebrity is saying. But we have the audience with Jesus every time we open his word. Any time and all the time. We can hear truth. We can hear what Jesus says when we open God's word. I don't have a reason, you don't have a reason to say, well, I just, I can't find the time, or I just don't feel like reading his word. I will tell you, yes, you can. This is truth. In today's confusion, in today's language, where everybody seems to be running their mouths, the people around me, my family, they don't need to just hear my opinion of what I think about a topic. You and your family and the people around you, They don't just need to have you telling what your opinion is on something. What they need is for you to be in the Bible, to be learning the truths of God, to study them, meditate on them, pray about them, and then when chaos is around them, you can speak truth to them of what you're hearing in God's word. If God took the time to write this down so that we might know him, maybe we should be in this a little bit more. Learning. Truths, learning many things. So, instead of me rattling on, let's go back to reading what many things Jesus said in Matthew 13. I'm going to start off in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. But where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And I was, as I was preparing to teach what this meant, Imagine my welcome surprise to tell in verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains what he meant by this parable. So we'll just read what Jesus explained and then we'll call it a day. We'll head home. No, I'm serious. I only have about a couple hours left. So if you stay with me. So verse 18, Jesus explains to those people who hung around to say, what did you mean by that? He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, This is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold and another sixty and yet another thirty. Hear then the parable of the sower. In this parable, we have a number of different elements. We have the seed, we have the sower, and we have the different kinds of soil. The seed is described as the gospel or the, or the gospel message, the message of or God's word, the kingdom message. It appears to be a simple seed, but it contains the power to change people's lives. The sower could be Jesus sowing the seed, but really it could be anybody who's speaking the word of God to other people who are sowing that message. And then the soils really are the hearts of People, their reactions to this we spoke about Jesus advance, advancing his kingdom, and he gives us in this parable a picture of how that's going to go, both then and now. The gospel word will be preached, and there will be people who hear that message that understand it for whatever reason they reject it. Jesus tells us this is going to happen. He says there's going to be other groups of people, he names two of them that are going to hear the message and they might understand it a little bit better than that first group, but they still don't get it. It's still not going to be productive in their lives. And then there will be people who receive the word, understand it, and allow God to grow in them and and make them productive. This is meant to be an encouraging parable. While we see that there are people who are not going to understand it and not receive God's word, he does say that when you cast out the seed, some people will receive it. And that should be an encouragement to us. And since the seed is really God's word, it's the message of God, it's his gospel, I think it's a good idea that we clearly walk through and we explain that. Last week, Pastor Nick talked about that we should all be able to give the message, give the gospel. Uh, he talked to you, they said if you're not able to do that, get with your small group leader or get with your pastor. I'll tell you what, this morning we're going to walk through the gospel message. I've got points in your outline there for you. If you know it, Fantastic. Let us soak in more. If you don't know it, let's get ready to learn it because God wants you so in the message. So we start off with the first element, which is God. We know him to be the creator of the world, the universe, all there is. He is immense beyond measure. He is eternal. He's holy. He's righteous. We know that he loves you, and he's the giver of all good things. Personally, when it comes to knowing God and, or proving God exists, I can't stand up here and give you a bunch of scientific, t- scientific evidence that proves his existence. I could probably get out some books and we could look up archaeological facts and prove to you that certain ancient writings were true and we know who wrote these things. We could walk through that if you wanted to. But when it comes to God's existence, here's where it becomes real in my life. Jesus has changed my life. I used to be one way. Jesus comes into my life and I'm another way. He's taken out of me a a heart of stone and put into me a heart of flesh. He's changed me. It's not the power of positive thinking. I didn't just make a decision one day to be a better person. Jesus Christ changed me. And because I know that he changed me, I know that he exists. I know that God exists. I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen in people around me. God can regenerate a person. Jesus Christ can. So if we move on to the second element, man, God created man and woman with the intention that we might glorify him, that we might find delight in him, that he wants to walk in relationship with us. It tells us in Genesis 2-7, Genesis And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We go on to Deuteronomy 5-29, and this is from God's perspective. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments always, that it may be well with them and their sons forever. It's God's intent to be part of your life, that you rely on him, that there's a relationship there, that you would be blessed. That's his intent. That's his desire. But here's the bad part. Sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve experienced this in the garden. If you think back, I mean... God has created Adam and Eve, perfect people. He's put them in a garden. There's plenty of food. They can eat all they want. They have companionship with one another. They get to walk with God. There's relatively no danger that they're in. There's no sin in the world at that time. He gave them one rule, just that one tree over there. You can eat anything you want. Just be obedient to me and stay away from that one tree. That tree will kill you. And Adam wrestles with the same thing that we all wrestle with today. He wrestles with, you telling me what to do. I need to be submissive to you. Or I have all this, but gosh, I want that. I want something that I don't have. Or how about this? How about just trusting God? Do I really believe that I'll die if I eat of that tree? These are the same things that mankind has been wrestling with. God has given me so much, but I want something else. I'm not content. God wants me to be obedient to him. I don't really want anybody telling me what to do. And do I really trust God that he has what's best for me? And because Adam and Eve sinned, they had to be put out of the garden. They couldn't be in the presence of a holy and righteous God when they had sinned, God had to put them out. They had broken their relationship with God in their disobedience. And then we are born under the curse of that sin. Now, if there's anybody here who doesn't know who Jesus Christ is, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't think it's really fair that I have to be under the curse of that guy's sin. That guy's the one that sinned. Even if we could take the doctrine of original sin and set it aside, which we can't, by the way, even if we didn't consider that, let's be honest between you and I. We are sinners. We sin all the time. Tens of thousands of sins between us and God. How about things like uh, lying, coveting? Pride, stealing, hating, lust, and the list goes on and on and on and on of the sins we've committed, the sins we continue to commit. We're dead in our trespasses. We cannot do enough good things to make up for the sins we've done. We can't settle accounts for them. We stand condemned before a holy and righteous God Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve for our sins is wrath from God and death. That's the wages. That's what's just and righteous. It's not God being unfair. It's God saying, that's what you earned. And not only have we sinned, we're slaves of sin. The picture sounds bleak. It's bad. All mankind deserves death. Eternal separation from God. We can't earn our salvation. What then are we to do? I had a young guy I was talking to last year, and he's listening to this. And he's like, well, if we've all sinned and we're all separated from God, does that mean we all go to hell? We all, there's no chance of being with God? Well, hang on. So here's the deal, God loves us, God wants to be in a relationship with us, but yet we've broken that relationship with him. We're separated from him by our sin, and we can't do anything about it. So that's when God steps in and he has a plan to rescue us. He sends Jesus. John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent Jesus. We're going to celebrate his birth in about a month as a baby come into this world To grow and to live and be tempted by everything we're tempted of. And that every time he was tempted, he chose God. To point us to the Father. To live a righteous life. And that we know that in the end, Jesus is going to go to the cross. The wrath that's intended for me, the wrath that's intended for you, that should be poured out on us because we're sinners, Jesus takes on himself. If you recall, if he's righteous without sin and the wages of sin is death, he doesn't deserve to die. But yet he goes to the cross, stays on the cross, takes God's wrath on him, the wrath that's intended for us. Here's some verses that talk about that. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So really, these are the facts. We've talked about the who, the what's, the why. How did we get to this situation? God, man, sin, Christ. But here's the thing that people need to lean in and listen to. And I say this to anyone out here who's never heard this message here in the audience or maybe online who have never heard this message. I want you to know what these facts are. But I'll tell you what. I believe that there are a lot of people who have gone to church their entire life. And they would say, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I I know about sin. I know that Jesus died on the cross. They would say they know these things. Going to church doesn't save you. Knowing these facts doesn't save you. You've probably heard Satan knows all these facts. He knows who God is. He knows what sin is. He knows who Jesus Christ is. But Satan ain't saved. So it's not enough to just know these things. The Bible tells us that we need to respond to the free gift, there has to be a response from us. It's a free gift. But we have to respond. Here's the two things that we need to do. And I don't mean to make these too simple, but I do want you to understand it's possible. The first thing we need to do is we need to confess our sins to God. We need to understand that we stand before him as sinners, eternally separated from him, that we are dead in our sins and we can't do anything about it, and that we need to receive Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sins. We need to do that. We need to confess that to him. Then the Bible goes on and says that we need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. This isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? Oh, I stand, I'm not convicted by my sins. No, we need to choose Lord Jesus to no longer continue to go down the path that we're leading, but kind of do an about-face, repent of that life of ourselves, and follow Jesus Christ. You'll hear people described as receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord of your heart, the Lord of your life. It could look as simple as this. It could be, in a heartfelt way, going before God. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve death for my sin. I know I can't save myself. I need your son's payment for my death, for my sins on the cross. And then, Jesus, I I ask you to be Lord of my life, to be my, my Lord, to be on the throne of my heart. If you pray that heartfelt prayer to God, he tells us, We can be adopted. I want to point out a couple verses. Acts 16, verses 30 through 31. And then he brought them out. and And the captor says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells them, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If we confess our sins and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can stand as adopted children of God. John 1.12 says, As many as received them, he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And It doesn't matter if you've heard this for the first time today or if you've been sitting there listening to the Bible stuff your whole life. This is something that every believer needs to do with God. And if you've never done this, I implore you, let's get her done today. I also want to point out this. As I have talked this message out with people, I always run across, I'm just thinking of a couple guys in particular, who've looked at me and said, you know, that's a good message, but I have sinned too much. I can't believe that God could cover my sins, or that they just could not believe that God could love them. And here's what I would tell them, God is bigger than us. God's love is greater than our, us. His ways are above his, our ways, he tells us in Scripture. He promises the truths that I just laid out for you, he promises them in Scripture. He says that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to cover all your sins, even the ones you haven't even done yet. It is important to stand convicted of our sins, to know they are serious. That's important for these guys to do, for you to do. I mean, they were so bad that Jesus has to die on the cross for them. They are serious. But we have got to trust God that when he says, my son has died for the forgiveness of your sins, that we can stand before God, innocent, regenerated people, that we should not put God in this little human-sized box and say, if I can't understand it, it can't be true. The Bible clearly tells us differently. So that's the seed that Jesus is sowing. That's what we are to bring to the world in our great commission that he gives us. So let's look at the different soils, the responses to this seed. Soil number one is called the path. In verse 4 he says, As he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. He explains to us in verse 19, When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart, And that this is what was sown along the path. This is a very straightforward explanation that the path is a hard surface. It's unplowed. It's unprepared for planting. Translated to human beings, this tells us of a heart that is hard. It's not prepared to understand the depth of their sin or the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. These people reject the notion that they need to repent of their sins. They don't understand the need to have Jesus Christ in their life, and they reject it. We've likely run into these kind of people. They're either just so fooled by the world, their hearts are so hardened by all the stuff that's been happening to them, all the sin around them, that God's word just seems to bounce off of them. They don't understand it. And we're told that the evil one, the devil, comes and snatches up that word. I think it's important that we talk about what does that look like. Satan could send, send a, a false teacher. Oh, hey, don't really believe what that guy says. Here's really the truth over here. And he could confuse a person who's just received the word. And they, I don't know what to believe. I'm not going to believe anything. Satan could send the fear of man. He could send a bunch of this person's friends around him. Oh, no, you didn't listen to that, that Christian thing, that Jesus thing. You're not going to be one of those people, are you? And that person's like, oh, I don't want to be one of those. Or maybe Satan sends pride. I don't need to listen to that. Maybe Satan sends the love of sin. Oh, man, I really don't want to give up what I'm doing. i got to give this up to have that. Or maybe Satan sends procrastination. Oh, that's a good message. I'll do that someday. Whatever way Satan snatches that word, it's at least, Jesus says, it leaves this person hardened and unproductive. If we move on to the soil number two, the rocky soil, we begin to see that it's described as in verses five through six other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep, but when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus explains this in 20 and 21 and saying, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet He has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulation and persecution rise on account of the word, he immediately falls away. This parable describes soil as being kind of really thin. In the springtime, when it's planting time, it can have a lot of moisture in it. Seed lands on it. It can spring up really good. There's some gospels that say this even looks like pretty good, even some of the best sprouts. But again, that soil is so thin that Those roots really can't get down past the rocky part of it. And then when the sun comes out in the summer, begins to scorch and dry things up, that plant, it has no root. It can't grow. It withers and dies. Jesus tells us that this is synonymous with a person who hears Jesus, hears the good news, responds quickly, oh yeah, I desire that, I want that but they really don't understand it, they don't receive it in a heartfelt manner or genuine manner, and that they're kind of shallow. This shallowness looks good on the outside at first, but when persecution comes, their faith is not able to withstand it, and they fall away. Let's talk about what that might look like. When Jesus was there, this might have been a person who saw Jesus performing miraculous healings, and because they had... Ailments are like, oh, I want that. Let me, Heal me too. Or maybe they heard him preaching in a way they hadn't heard before and, hey, I want to be, I'm attracted to that. Or maybe they just saw crowds of people flocking after him and they just wanted to be part of the crowd. I'm going I'm to be here with you guys and look good. In today's world, we undoubtedly have people that sit around us who are around us that are going through great pain. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks and they're experiencing great pain in their marriage. They just want to know, tell me something that's going to help my marriage get better. Maybe they have a, a, a bad ailment, and they're just looking. I can't, doctors can't do anything about it. What can I turn to? Or Whatever struggle they have in their life, they're looking for something to fix their struggle. They're not necessarily looking for a Christ. They're looking for some way to get out of the issue they're in. I can tell you that when I was not a believer... I had a friend invite me to a men's Bible study here in the Des Moines area. And uh, I didn't really want to go at first. I didn't want to do that Jesus thing. And then uh, I kind of got, you know, I was not having a great marriage, on marriage number two, kind of worried I was going to blow this one too. And I thought, wow, well, those Christian guys, they seem to get along with their wives. I'll go and I'll find out what they do. So I went to that men's study. And I'll tell you, I, I, looking back at what we studied, it was great stuff. But what I was there for I was there to hear things like, uh, "Hey, uh, buy your wife the Christmas present and have it be the first thing under the tree. That'll make her feel special." Oh, I'm writing those things down, or, or "Hey, uh, get a date night with your wife. That'll make her feel special." By the way, I may not have done that much, so I didn't <laughs> not have learned that so. But, uh, but I was there <laughs> I was there to fix things, right? I wasn't there with a broken heart knowing that I needed Jesus Christ. I will say the good news is God used that ministry to, to break through that rocky soil and get to me to say, hey, this isn't about fixing things. But that's what I was there for. It wasn't being productive. And if you consider what we talked about in the gospel message, a person truly repenting of their sins, giving their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that shallow person, they don't really understand that. They're not really in it for that. They just are trying to take care of that, that fix they need. That they see that shiny object and they want that, but they're not really giving their lives. They see Jesus as a guy with his pockets full of candy and like, hey, give me some of the goodies. But they're not really there to submit their life to Christ. Jesus says that's not going to be a productive soil. You will fall away. If we move on to soil number three, the thorny soil or the weedy soil, it says in verse 7, other seeds may fall among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. A seed tossed out among thorns probably struggles to even make it to the ground. And if it does happen to find the ground, it's competing with, it's in the shade of these weeds, it's competing with those weeds for soil and sunlight and nutrients and water. If you consider God's message of the kingdom given to people who are so focused on other things, you can see where that may not they may not receive that correctly. They might consider it, they might even say, Oh, that sounds really good. I can I can tell I need that. But all those other things in their lives, things that are screaming at them, demanding their time and attention, getting the best of them. Just can you see just the noise that's in people's lives? The things that are here and now demand their attention. Some we can look at and we can say, we can say some are clearly wrong. If someone's dealing with an addiction, wrong. If they're dealing with the love of money or a highly demanding job, okay, those sound bad. But but what about things that don't seem quite as bad? Someone's like, I just want rest. I work all the time. I just want to. I just want to rest and and just lay around. What's so wrong with that? Or maybe there's a person who's out helping a lot of people. Busy, 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 busy. That doesn't sound like a bad thing. Or you know, maybe it's a, a person who wants to watch sports. I just want to watch my sports and catch my sports center. What's the big deal? You'll notice that Jesus uses the word deceitful in there, right? Almost as if that these people can't see that all these other things are consuming so much of their time and attention. They're energy consumers. If you remember the gospel message again and, and, you, and the response needed, we're talking about the person receiving Christ as the Lord of their life that requires a submission to Christ alone. Jesus warns us in Matthew 6, 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and money. A person hearing the gospel has to realize that all those other things are not going to save them. They have to come to the end of themselves and choose Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is telling us here that we can that people can have so many things in their lives be ruled by weeds and thorns and thus not live a fruitful life. Finally we get to soil number 4. The good soil. <clears throat> Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. He explains in verse 23, as for what was sown on the good soil, this is one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. This is indicative of ground that's plowed up. It's ready to receive seed. And when the seed is planted, that ground is tended, taken care of, and becomes fruitful and abundant. This is a description of a person who recognizes their sins. They understand their need for Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is true of the person who follows Christ, seeks Him every day, dies to self, and put Jesus' needs first. I don't want to get legalistic and say, oh, you have to do X number of things every day to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't want to go there, but... I do think that we as Christians can have an honest conversation to point out that there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who really spend no time through the week with them. They're, they're not even sure they want to go to church. They can't find time to be in the Word. Why do I need to read the Bible all the time? Why do I need to serve other people? Can't I just do what I'm doing? I'm a Christian, I'll say the right things, but I don't know. Eh. I'll point out to you James 1, verses 22 22 through 25. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, Who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed in his doing. Kind of sounds like he's saying he'll be productive in the kingdom, producing good fruit. This is a person who wants to know God, know what God says, has a desire to pray and be around God and seek God's understanding. This is a person who loves to think on the things of God and fills his mind with them a person who wants to encourage other people. This is what God's telling me. Those are our different soils. I think it's important that we talk through some application as we get ready to end. Don't worry, we still got a few more minutes, so don't close anything up. So, but as we talk about the two different types of people who may be hearing this. There are, there may be unbelieving people who hear this message of the gospel. If that's you, again, I don't want to I don't want to go so fast over that. If you are not calling Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, it's important that you hear that God created you, loves you, but that your sin separates you from God. You can't be around God. You can't enjoy his presence today. And then, of course, afterwards, that he wants you to know that your sins have been paid for on the cross, that a person needs to receive Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. Confess to follow Jesus if you haven't done that, come talk to me afterwards. If you're listening online, get a hold of our church and let us know what God's doing in your life. For the people that are in the room or listening that are believers, this isn't just about the gospel message to the unbelievers. I believe that Jesus is telling believers, you've got a lesson to learn about through these parables. I've got three things. One, a believer can be closed and hard-hearted at times. The good soil needs to be worked, plowed, ready to receive the Word, God's Word. The Word has to be tilled up and tended afterwards. If you're in the habit of hearing a sermon and even going like, oh, that's a good sermon, but then the next day you can't remember it, or maybe you're reading God's Word and you're like, oh God, that's great stuff, and again, the next day you can't remember it, That kind of sort of sounds like maybe your heart wasn't ready to receive it. Maybe you're not taking care of it. And here comes the enemy just to pluck that out and just say, you don't need that. I'll just, just take that out of your life. So our application for this one, prepare your heart. Focus and receive what God is telling you and then tend to it. I'd encourage you to write it down, meditate on it, pray about it, and then tell other people what he's doing in your life. I've said that a few times. You guys kind of get on landing on that. Point number two in our application is that a believer can be shallow. I had a guy at the church I attended before a long time ago. He said, Chris, I believe that most Christians will live their lives this this deep because their family always went. This is how deep they'll be the whole life. They'll just go to church uh, because their family always went to church, and this is how deep they'll be that there are people who don't want to be in God's word. They don't want to be around God's people. They don't want to listen to sermons. They don't want to tell other people about it. They don't necessarily want to serve anybody. They're just kind of living their lives. I did a John MacArthur study a few years ago, and he gave this imagery of, of being in the ocean. He said at the top of the ocean, the waves are always sloshing around, that if you're hanging around towards the top of the surface or near it, Every wind, every wave will move you around. He said, but if you follow down to the depths of the ocean, you get towards the bottom. That there are things at the bottom of the ocean that have this little thin layer of silt over it that oceanographers believe have been there for hundreds of years, and that silt doesn't even move because it is so calm and still at the bottom of the ocean. There might be a tidal wave or a hurricane on the surface, but at the depth of that, there's calm and stillness. And he grew the analogy that God wants us to grow up in our faith, to not just have the this, this spiritual milk that we have when we're newborn babes, but also to grow into eating mature, solid spiritual food, that we are to be discipled into the image of his son, that he is to grow us as we grow deep in our faith with him, that as storms come by, 2020 comes by, and we're like, I know that's tough on you guys, but I know who my Lord is, and I, I've got peace in it. I think that's a good image, and that we as Christians can realize that we cannot stay shallow. So application two, I would say pray for desire to want to be around God, to study his word, and to serve others. And then the third application is that believers can have weeds in their lives. Things that crowd up our lives, eats up our time and energy. This really reminds me of idols. We can't give our best time and energy to other things other than God and expect to be fruitful and used by him. A couple weeks ago at one of our family dinners, we were asking the kids what they're learning. And my son-in-law, Caleb Porter, says, well, in our small group, the guys are studying the book of Malachi. And in that first chapter, God is telling the people of Israel, I am not happy with your sacrifices. I'm not happy with what you're giving me because what you're giving me is just the leftovers. I want the best first fruits and you're giving me the worst you got just as a way of saying, here, God, have something. And Caleb was like, I can't give God just my leftovers. i got to give him my best. And I like to refer to Caleb as young because he's much younger than me, but here's a young guy speaking truth. We need to give God our best. So application three, pray about anything that is demanding your time and attention. And if it's not Jesus, maybe it's a weed. As we get ready to close... I want to loop back around to what I mentioned at the beginning where the, the the people in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, they seemed to be one that was missing the message. So Christ's birth was established. John the Baptist is telling who he is. Jesus is doing miraculous things that could only be done by God. He's preaching the word. People are coming to know him and being saved. And the religious leaders, the ones who have memorized Scripture, who know what God says in the Scripture, they're somehow missing This is the guy. And he even tells them, that's who I am. And the question is, how can people be so religious, devout in their religion? How can they miss who Jesus Christ is? I think in this parable of the sower, Jesus gives us a little bit of a picture that even believers can have hard hearts, shallow lives of faith, and the worries of this world can drown it out and make it unproductive. I want to repeat that. Jesus tells us that even people of faith can have hard hearts, shallow lives of faith, and the worries of this world can make them unproductive. I can be a proud, stiff-necked person. I can study this word and think I know it and think that I have all the answers, and I always have brothers and sisters come alongside me going like, hey, that concept, that thing we read over here, can we talk about that? I always want to be searching out God's word. I always want my brothers and sisters in Christ to challenge me. Do you understand it the way God wants you to understand it? It's my prayer that you will be too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have planted a seed through your word. I pray that we would be people that receive your word. And Lord, we allow it to be productive in our lives. Lord, if there are people who have listened to this message and they didn't know who you were, Lord, I pray that they've heard it clearly, that it is understood by them. I pray that the enemy would be kept away from them, that they would come to know who you are and become an adopted child. And, Father, for the people that are sitting here who are your sons and daughters in Christ, I pray that you would help us to see where where have we been hard-hearted, where are we too busy with weeds, and, Lord, where do we need to grow deeper in you? Lord, we love you. We pray this stuff, all this in your son's name.